After the funeral service of his first wife, the late Donald Gray Barnhouse, distinguished pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church, Philadelphia, was thinking about he could, how he could convey to his young children the loss of their mother. As he tried to conjure up words of comfort, the shadow of a large van passed over their car as they were driving down the highway. Instantly, Barnhouse thought of the words needed for the moment. Children, he asked, would you rather be run over by a truck or by its shadow? The children quickly answered, well, of course, Dad. We'd much rather be run over by its shadow. The shadow cannot hurt us. Then Barnhouse, the master illustrator, replied, The truck of death ran over the Lord Jesus 2,000 years ago, so that only its shadow now passes over us. That is all that has happened to your mother. Only the shadow of death has passed over her. She is unharmed in heaven. That illustration to me really stuck with me for many years, and I've thought about it uh, over and over. I think it's one of those things when you're looking at the 23rd Psalm that we resonate with it so much. And again, that's maybe why you would, I would think, I just, all week I've thought, man, I just long to get to this place where we are looking at this text together. Because this psalm, at a very young age, I memorized it. At a very young age, um, it, it, it was something that like I thought about. It, it gave images in my mind that I could remember and recall. Recently, um, we've been, of course, teaching William and Benjamin to memorize Scripture. And um, one of the things that's kind of coming up is the 23rd Psalm uh, for uh, William. And, and I think it's one of those things where I, early on I want him uh, to have that. I remember uh, not only was it special to me, and, and many people train their children and teach them at, uh, at a young age, but I remember an older lady one day, her husband was uh, in the hospital, he was dying and uh, he was just, he was kind of in and out of hospitals. And I remember looking at, at her, uh, her Bible was sitting there and next to it a book. And it was a book that kind of expounded on the 23rd Psalm. And it's really one of those things that from the earliest part of your life to all throughout your life, you could look back and see it and understand uh, very powerfully, I think, what um, the Lord is, is given us here. It's a beautiful psalm. And so you've probably heard it many, many different times, but I hope today you'll get to see it in a more clear picture. It shows us that our shepherd is committed to us, provides for us, restores and guides us, dwells with us, protects us, pursues us, and will eternally uh, uh, be with us. And so all of those things are going on. And really this morning you have to ask the question, are you uh, looking to the great shepherd? Are you hoping in him? Do you see how he has shepherded you all the days of your life? Are you looking back and thinking about things? And maybe you'll do that today and maybe even look forward to the future and think whatever I might face, I know that the good shepherd, the great shepherd is with me. So we're going to get started, move through this text and hopefully, like I said, it'll bless you uh, as it has me this week. Uh, Psalm 23 and verse 1 And what we're looking at, we can say maybe our shepherd is committed to us. So he says, the Lord is my shepherd. David uses this covenant name for God. And he uses this personal relationship that he's kind of picking up where, remember, um, God was uh, asked by Moses, "What, what do we, basically, he was saying, who do I say sent me? He said, I am sent you. And so the great I am, the God that gave the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this is the one who is, David is saying, is 
his shepherd. The one who spoke to Moses from the burning bush. All the, I mean, throughout history, you will see this covenant God presented here. He is self-existent. He is self-sufficient. And he has set his love on his people. So David can say, the Lord, the one, the covenant-keeping God, he is my shepherd. And for David, that was a big deal because David grew up and he uh, understood that from a very young age. If you study about him, you find that when Samuel went to look for one of the men to, to, um, uh, to, to anoint one from Jesse's family, he said, do you have any other sons? And he says, well, I have this young son and he's out in the field. And so David was a shepherd. He understood shepherding. He spent hours shepherding. He understood the needs of sheep. He understood the struggles they faced, the dangers that they faced. All of that stuff, David understands that. And so when he writes it, it's very personal because it's one of those things where he is looking at it from a perspective, on a very personal level perspective. His whole life was bound up in shepherding, and now he is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. So, I think it's also just important to say throughout the history of Israel, it would be important to them. Because it's one, of the, it's one of those things that they, as a people, were throughout their history, were involved in. Genesis 46, you remember when Joseph, from the, uh, when he was over in Egypt, and, and he's bringing his brothers back, and the brothers are about to interact with Pharaoh, he says, uh, um, when you go up to Pharaoh, tell, the, tell him that you're keepers of livestock. When Pharaoh asks you, what is your occupation? You say, we are keepers of livestock from our youth even until now. And let him send you to the land of Goshen, which would kind of separate them from the, the people uh, of Egypt. And not only that, it was known that the, um, uh, the Egyptians, they, they thought that the shepherds were an abomination. They looked at them like negatively. And so from the very early history of the children of Israel, they were shepherds and and that that even though that profession by some would be considered a very lowly profession you still see that 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 God prized it and he put his people in that kind of role and they understood that now another thing just to say is that shepherding sheep is not an easy occupation and i think Isaiah 53:6 picks us up all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the lord has laid uh, on him, the iniquity of us all. So it's presenting sheep as, as, as ones that might be careless, getting off the trail, the place that they are to go and the way that they're supposed to go. And so it's kind of one of those things where you're seeing this, the Lord is my shepherd and I am a, a sheep is kind of the picture that you're seeing before you. It's a beautiful illustration of God's love for his people. If you remember when Jesus comes on the scenes, and the announcement is given. It is not given to the people in the city, but those shepherds out there. The angels came and visited them. And they were, again, in, in, even at that time in the history of Israel, that was kind of a lower status job. And, and God comes and speaks to them by the angels and announces the coming of the great king. Uh, later, when Jesus is looking at the situation in Israel, he said the people are like sheep without a shepherd. And then you'll see Jesus say of himself, 
I am the great shepherd. It is a theme that travels all the way through the Bible, and it's a theme that we need to understand because when David says that, it's picking up a lot of things. And for us, looking in the New Testament, we get to see it even at a deeper level. So I'm going to get you to turn to John chapter 10. And I want you to think about this for a moment in John 10. In John 10, Jesus is speaking and he is going to speak about the things that are going on, uh, that he's, address, he's dealing with, and he's going to, to speak about who he is in relationship to his people. And he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his, hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he, was about, uh, when he, he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said again to them, Truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So we see Jesus as the one that comes to the sheep that he, he, he presents the leaders as kind of as robbers, and they are not shepherds. They're not the true shepherds of, of the sheep. And he says he is the door of the sheep here, and if they enter in with him, they enter into the promises of God. Then you go to verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and, has, uh, and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf, coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep i am the good shepherd i know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and i know the father and i lay down my life for the sheep jesus is dying for his people the sheep are his and he gives the life to them he loves them he again lays down his life for them And so when you're looking at that imagery and you're thinking certainly of Psalm 23, you also want to think about what is going on in shepherding and sheep and all that kind of stuff in the Bible. And I think we could say Jesus is ultimately the great or the good shepherd that is the one who protects us, guides us, delivers us, protects us, all of those things. Now, moving on in that same chapter. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. So there's the sheep that Jesus is going to die for. He's going to willingly give his life for it. The enemy's going to come to destroy, to take them away, to destroy them, to ruin them. And yet he is going to give his life so that they can be rescued. 
he willingly is doing that. He is saying this before he has ever uh, went to the cross. He understood what his mission was. It was given to him by God that he would go and rescue them. It, you, I mean, I think the emphasis here is on him rescuing his sheep. He is rescuing those who can hear his voice. Those who have been granted the ability to hear his voice. Verse 16 and 17. You see there, and I have some that are not of this fold. So that Jesus' mission, I think, and that's one of the things you'll see in John, transcends, it's both Jew and Gentile. It's going to expand throughout the world. Later in Revelation, it will be that there will be some of Jesus' sheep that he died for from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And none of them are lost. He keeps moving forward as you look at that. So the Jews gathered around and say, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And what did they do? They picked up stones. So I just think it's important for us. We started with the Lord is my shepherd. And that's where we've been. But I want you to understand that that when you think in context, as a Christian, when we read the whole Bible and follow the shepherding theme, what we see is this, that that, that God has, and and this is kind of in this text, you see, that God has given Jesus sheep. When did he give those sheep to him? Well, if we study the whole Bible, we know from before the foundation of the world, he gave him sheep. And in the perfect time, the great shepherd came down to this earth to save his sheep from sin, hell, death, the grave. And he came and died for those sheep. And the manifestation of those sheep being his is that when he speaks, when his word comes to them, they hear it, they believe it, they accept it. And so I think what we have to understand, that Jesus came to die for his sheep. And they will respond to him in repentance and faith, trusting in the good shepherd to rescue them. Trusting in the fact that he died for them. That, that's the big message of the Bible. That's the message of chapter John chapter 10. There is this great shepherd who leaves heaven. He comes to earth. He gives his life to rescue his people. And when he calls to them, they come. That, that's it. And when they come, they find themselves not only with Him in the present, but eternally blessed in the future. 
That, that, that's like the whole Bible kind of unpacked. So I think it's important that we remind ourselves of that and understand that. Now, his commitment to them is so great, you see it in another parable, okay? So turn to Luke chapter 15, and I promise you we'll get to Psalm 23, hopefully we'll finish it today. But Luke 15... Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he tells them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing and when he comes home he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost just so I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance what is he saying he is saying I'm going to rescue my sheep. How many of them? All of them. Will any of them be lost? No. Why? Because I was given a mission from my father. He handed me the sheep. I went and died for my sheep. I'm going to rescue my sheep. And not one of them will be lost. And guess what? Going back to John 10. Nobody's going to snatch them out of my hand. Nobody. In this same little section in Luke, it's, it, you have that, that parable of um, when <clears throat> the prodigal son leaves. And then he finds himself in just this horrendous situation. And what does he find out? He goes back to see the father. The father runs out and gets him. The religious leaders sit back there and say, I don't want any part of this. Because I'm not about... The rescuing of broken sheep. So uh, I just think it's important to kind of see it. Now, you see the heart of Jesus for his sheep. David understands that. David understands that. David knows what it is to own sheep. To be entrusted with sheep. And to serve them. And to watch over them. And to protect them. And now he's speaking of God in this way. And we, because of the revelation that we have, can speak even further about how much God loves them than David. Right? So let's move forward as we're going forward in this. And I think it's just helpful just to think about this. Even after Jesus leaves, he still is like, he's concerned for his sheep. So what does he say at the end of John? You ready? He says to Peter, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. He asked Peter to, to, or he's really commanding him to do that. If you go on even further, Peter will do the same thing. Peter will say to the, I mean, he is an apostle, receives this message and goes and proclaims it. 
And he calls people from all different places. But then he says, like, even like in maybe his latter years, he speaks to the elders in 1 Peter 5, and he says, shepherd the flock of God among you. What? Care for the sheep. I mean, God's got a plan for his sheep. And none of them will be lost because Christ died for them. He will rescue every one of them. Just a shocking reality. If you, th- I mean, it's crazy to me to think that we could miss this. That you could study the Bible for a long time and not recognize the fact that God is so committed to saving a people for Himself, individual people, that He sent His Son to die for them and He is securing a place for them and He, he is going to make sure that all of them, none of them are lost. He's got them in His grip. And nobody's taking them away from Him. That's a powerful thing. So when David is saying this, I don't think he even understood, even though he understood at some level, he may not have grasped fully what is taking place here. But you go forward and you say, so we say, look, our shepherd is committed to us. And then you see that he provides for us. I shall not want. I think sometimes it might be a bad reading. Like sometimes you might say something like, if I had what I wanted, you know, had it all like the way I wanted it, I would, for me, you might say, you might go fishing and hunting every day of your life and have a cabin out in the woods and never return or whatever. And, And if I had what I wanted, no, nothing standing in the way. I would just indulge myself in that for the rest of my days. That's what I want. Is Jesus going to give me that? You know, I mean, kind of, you say, well, that's probably not the best way to read this, right? I think the better way to read it is in a more archaic kind of reading. And it's like, want has the idea of lacking something or being in need. I, I think that's what we're talking about in the context. We, we're seeing that he is taking care of us. We could say he abundantly supplies everything that I need and I can trust him to do so. Right? And I think that's kind of what the issue is here. Verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Kind of, I struggled a little bit this week with thinking like, are we going to go in verse 2, look at the physical, and verse 3, the spiritual? Are we kind of putting these together, or does it even matter? I'm not sure that it matters, so we just have to make any, any distinction here. But I think it's important just to know that, like, Israel, very barren kind of, I mean, climate that is, 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 is somewhat uh, where you, would, you could drive for miles and miles, and you would just see almost like a desert land, nothing. And then there might be spots or little valleys or, or in different places where there's a, a, gr- a green patch. That, and so a shepherd had to really think about, where he, you know, he's one of those people, and I, I've thought about this a lot lately. I don't think a lot of people think very much about planning and preparation and stuff. They're not pre- very, they don't prepare all the time. They think, well, I can just fly by the seat of my pants on everything. And you can't do that if you're a shepherd on, and you're trying to like lead these sheep because you're watching over them. You got to kind of, you got to make sure that they're going to have what they need. And they're going to be provided for in a good way. And that's kind of the, the picture here is he is going to, Uh, make me lie down in green pastures somewhere where I can be satisfied, somewhere that I'm safe, somewhere that I know that I'm in a a good place. That's 
that's kind of the picture here. Not only that, the still waters, and some of you have studied this, you probably know that, but like oftentimes, like uh, with a, I don't know if y'all have ever felt this before, but um, uh, have you ever been like maybe decided that you're going to test out what it would be like to put on a pair of coveralls, like a hunting, hunting coveralls, jump in the water, and then try to walk around? If there was rushing water, it would be very difficult for you to get back out. I remember one time I was fly fishing on the White River, and uh, I bought some new waders to go. And when I, I got there, um, I started going out in the, to, the, to the river, and the water's rushing really hard. And that's always the case. You kind of have to cross over places sometimes, and it gets deeper and deeper, and it's harder and harder to stay steady. And uh, for some reason, the waders I had were like, somehow they had this little cut in them, and in this open spot, and they were filling up, not inside with water, but on the outside, some weird way. And so, like, it was like the hardest walking I'd ever done out wading. And, of course, I took them back when I got back and was like, this is insane. Who designed this? This is crazy. But I think what would happen, from what I understand, is that they, there might be a little creek or a little river, and, and a lot of times they would build some kind of dam so that the Sheep could drink without stepping out in the water where it was moving because they're, um, if they get wet, they kind of have the same feeling that I would have trying to get out of there when the, my, you're wearing like basically all this weight on you. And so they would do everything that they could to make a place where they could drink in safety and security and stability. That's what he's saying. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. So not only does he, he committed, he provides, he, and, he, and, and then we see he, he really restores and guides his people. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, one of the things that I think is very important, we looked at this, but I think it's, it's important for us to see, like when, when, when we think about like the transformation that's needed in us, it's not just external. Some people parent that way where they would um, want to just fix their child's behavior. And they love, oh, aren't they good little children? Because they, they can like walk the line. And they do it perfect. And they're great at behavioral like modification and making them walk the certain way and do exactly what they're supposed to do. And they're like, that's really great. It's kind of like uh, in, in the, is it the sound of music where the guy blew the whistle? And uh, he's sitting there, and he blows a whistle, and all the kids run out, and they stand there, you know. And it's like, hold on just a second. That's not exactly parenting. That's like dog training, you know. But, but I think it's important that we see that God is at work. He is working on the inside. He is restoring on the inside. The Scripture says in Genesis 6, 5, that every intention of the thoughts of the heart of man is evil continually. Jeremiah says about the heart of man that it is so messed up that who can understand it? So natural man is hostile towards God and God must do something on the inside. God must transform on the inside. Now, you might meet somebody someday that like they're really good at doing being very obedient, but they're not really like there's no heart change. They are doing it, but they're doing it only so that they can get what they want for some reason or another but they're not really transformed. God is about, the great shepherd of our souls is about restoring us on the inside, not just making us little robots on the outside. He wants to work that in us, and He does so. Now, I think you also see 
in this text that he, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so I think what happens is God is working on the inside so it impacts the outside. When he transforms you within, then he will work also in you. It, it will, it will, like the results of that will produce in how you live and what you do and what you pursue and all those uh, things. Now, the book of Titus kind of helps us see that. And I think it's really helpful. Um, Titus chapter 3, verses th- uh, 3 through 7. If you have it, if you can, you can turn there pretty quick, but I just, uh, I'll read it to you and you can hear it. For we ourselves were once foolish, it means everybody was once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the kindness of God uh, or the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, so that we are being justified by grace. Now, really important. These people were walking outside of the ways of God, living in rebellion against God, and then God, by His sheer grace, saved them. He poured out upon them His Spirit meaning he caused them to be born again. And then he's in the process of renewing them. So we start, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This covenant-keeping God is my shepherd. He is watching over me. I shall not want. He's going to provide for my needs. He, he makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. So he's saying like he transforms me within and it reflects on the outside. It's this constant work that he's doing where he's getting to the heart. And one of the ways, of course, the only way is to by the spirit cause you to be born again so that you would love him, know him, believe him, trust in him. All those things. That's what happens. The word is preached. Are the sheep hear the voice? What gives them ears to hear? The Spirit of God bringing the, the, the one who is dead in their sins to life. And so the Spirit of God awakens one, and then the Spirit of God works in them. And you see that in Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to all men, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Jesus came to redeem us, to restore us. He changes us on the inside. He changes us on the outside. That's what the good shepherd does as he's preparing us to meet him in glory. So it's just, I think that's really helpful for us. So our shepherd is committed to us, provides for us, restores and guides us, and he dwells with us. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So you leave the green pastures to the valley of the shadow of death. Now one author said it this way, The valleys are places of rich pasture and much water, but they are also places of danger. Wild animals lurk in the broken canyon walls. Sudden storms may sweep in uh, along the valley floors. There may be floods. Since the sun does not shine into the valley very well, There really are shadows which at any moment moment may become shadows of death. 
It is important to note that the, sh- the valley of the shadow of death is as much God's right path for us as green pastures and quiet waters. That's another thing. It's so important. I mean, it's like, you get that? Like, you probably do if you've lived very long. That you realize that God is about, he, he is about shepherding you. That means He loves you and cares for you and He wants good for you. But He's not like this Santa Claus figure that you say, I want this. And He's like, of course you do. Here you go. I want this. Of course you do. Here you go. It's not just like He's just Santa that every time you say, oh, I made a little wish list of everything I want that will make me happy. I'm going to... And He's like, oh, great. And He just dumps it on. He's a wise shepherd. What, what is he doing? A wise shepherd knows that he is wanting to train the sheep, protect the sheep, guide the sheep, help them grow in their, really, here, we would say, in their reliance on him. How, how does that work? That means that they can grow in their reliance on him in those days where they see him providing everything in, in a way where it's almost like, you just think uh, everything seems right. And on those days when you think everything is wrong. That he is working in his people. And so we see both of those things. But all along the way there's one common denominator. He's there. He's with you. He's walking with you. You can trust him. But I feel like I'm in darkness. Yeah, of course you do. But I've always mentioned this to you. Spurgeon said when... When you can't see his hand, you trust his heart. When you can't see him in the darkness, you trust that he is there. And that's what this is laying out for us. The issue here is he is calming your fears and your anxieties. Verse 5. I want to actually. I want to say one last thing about this is um, when you see this valley of the shadow of death. I did many years ago read a quote by Charles Spurgeon where he said, uh, um, "The shadow of a dog cannot bite, and the shadow of death cannot destroy." Right, and so wherever you are, you just have to trust that He is there with you. And that he will protect you. Now, he's committed to us, provides for us, restores and guides us, dwells with us, and protects us. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You see in this, I think it's such a beautiful picture. It's almost like, um, and some people even think of it this way, like the good shepherd would prepare the place for them. Uh, that they would dwell, that they would be, he would remove any physical hazards, destroy any poisonous plants, drive away any predators that would hurt them. Um, Some people even said some of the ancient shepherds would mix oil, like olive oil and sulfur and spices to protect the sheep from uh, insects, to bring healing, all kinds of stuff that they were using there. Also, you just know that in that place, it's not always easy to find oil and wine. And so there is something of that even with humans. When they think of that, especially in that time period, or even today, you would think these things uh, in, in that kind of climate, these things were a great blessing. Those They were part of, if you came to visit someone's house, that they would supply you with those things to make you, um, uh, in a way, kind of give you a glad heart and to bless you in some way. 
So we see him doing all of this. And then verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. God is pursuing us. God is pursuing us. The shepherd pursues us. This is a, I mean, man, this is a really, really powerful picture. I remember a number of years ago, I called a friend. We were talking about stuff. And he said, you know, I was just studying on this word and, and looking up the, 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 the idea of, of being pursued or, or the idea of follow it really is like an invading army pursuing a people to destroy them. It's used in that way. When you, You'll see that same word used with, with, with that kind of connotation. But here, it's like God is chasing after you. He's sending goodness and mercy after you. I, I mean, like in a, in a way where like, like an invading army pursuing you. Where you're running for your life. And God's like, I'm, I mean, I'm running after you with goodness and mercy. It was almost like this, the steps are behind you pounding away. And you're thinking, what in the world is happening? And you look back and goodness and mercy overtakes you. All the days of your life. That's the picture there. And so sometimes maybe you look at your life and think, I don't know about that. I don't, is that are you sure? Are, are you sure that that's what's taking place? It doesn't feel like that. That's what he's saying. Goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. They're hunting you down. They're hunting you down. And you might say, man, what does that look like? I don't think it always looks like what you might think it would look like. Sometimes what we think is what the world would say goodness and mercy looks like. The reality is God in his infinite wisdom is bringing goodness and mercy into your life day after day, year after year throughout your whole life. Now the last thing, we will eternally dwell with him and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. To dwell in his house, you are not just a guest You are not just a guest visiting. You are not on the outside like a servant. You are not just in the yard. You are not passing by and waving as a neighbor. You you are not driving by thinking, oh, I wish that great person, whoever lives in that, have you ever driven by somebody that's really famous their house? I wish they would step out and just nod at me. It's not that. You are living in that house forever. You are dwelling with Him forever. Never separated. I am His Son. Now, that, that, this, this, is, this is pretty shocking to me. One, one other thing, I just want to make the point. The Bible doesn't say that we're sons once we get there. You are now. And so, certainly there's this eternal future, but the reality is, the sonship has already been enacted. He is already with you. His presence dwells with you. You're not going to be thrown out. You're His child. He has you. He's watching after you. He's protecting you. He was keeping you. He is committed to you. 
He sent His Son to die for you so that you could be united to Him by faith and you could have access and you could have all the privileges and rights of being a son. That's what He's saying. You will dwell in the house with the family. You are a part of the family. Eternally a part of the family of the God of the universe. The one who made everything and redeemed you. The self-existent God, the eternal God, the infinite God, the all-powerful God. You are in the family. Now we'll experience eternal blessing with Him forever and ever. The big question for you today is, do you know the great shepherd? Do you know the great shepherd? You say, I've heard about him. Maybe. Or you might say, oh, I, yeah, I've heard about him and, 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 and I... I don't know what to think about him. Or maybe you say, I don't think of him as a shepherd. I don't think about him really caring for me. I don't think about him bringing me into his house. I don't see myself as a son. I don't think he's really protecting me, guarding me, watching over me, providing for me. I don't see him that way. But the reality is, this passage speaks of all that. He is committed to his sheep, provides for them, restores and guides them, dwells with them, protects them, and pursues them. And finally, they will dwell with him forever. If you believe that, would it change anything about the way you live today? Would it it change anything about the way that you live today? What would you do with your fear? What would you do with your anxiety? What would you do with the fact that you want to make a name for yourself or go somewhere? What would you do with that? What would you do with the issues that you face right now in your family? What would you do with that if you believe this to be true? What would you live for? What would you die for? All those things I think we ask as we look at this marvelous picture and embrace it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I ask you give us wisdom in applying it to our lives by the power of the Spirit. We thank you for this marvelous picture that our shepherd is committed to us so much so so that he died for us so that we would not have to die. He faced our greatest foe and he died for us so that we could live. So that we could dwell in green pastures. So that we could be beside still waters. So that death would be a shadow. In Christ's name, amen.